Morning. Morning. Well, Johnny's right. Many of you will know Kate and I are having a baby any day now. And we're talking like any day. Yeah. Woo. It's about him. It's about him today. Um, and we are, we are um, I said in the last service that my phone is on loud, but Kate's here at this service. So that's not necessary anymore. But we are definitely in what I've been calling the danger zone. Like you, you know, that, remember that song from Top Gun? Gone into the da- highway to the danger zone. Yeah, good. Okay, so we're so we're in we're, we're in that moment, and and one of the things I've been learning as we've been preparing to become parents is that um, you have to think about names, right? You have to think about what you're going to name this little munchkin, and and naming a human being is like a really big deal. I know it's a really big deal, and and I, you know it's easy to get overwhelmed with these kind of things. So I thought you know I'd take to the internet to try and calm me down a little bit and relax me with some weird baby naming stories that people had written in. Um, These are some of the ones I found. A woman wrote in saying, I was supposed to be named Alicia, but my mum wasn't present when the nurse came in with the birth certificate, and my dad realised he didn't know how to spell Alicia. So he went with the closest name he could spell, Ashley. It's not close to Alicia. George, George, George Foreman, the championship boxer and food grilling visionary, has a one-track mind when it comes to baby names. Foreman named all five of his sons George after himself. They are George Jr. and Georges 3, 4, 5, and 6. And also named one of his six daughters, Georgetta. Let's appreciate for a second, that's 11 kids. George Foreman. Um, How does the family tell tell the difference between all those Georges? Georges 3 through 6 are called Monk, Big Will, Red, and Little Joey. So there you go. Good. Finally, director Robert Rodriguez has four sons named Racer, Rocket, Rebel, and Rogue. You might think the letter R was the inspiration for these names, but Rodriguez himself says he got them from a book of dog names. How'd you get your name? My dad named me after a dog, so that's good, isn't it? Um, I hope you realize by now that like these intros that, that I do are like 60% to share things that I find funny with you, and like 40% linking into what we're going to be talking about today, but... Um, I have been thinking about names. I have been thinking about the, the, the importance of names. That is serious. And as we continue today in our series looking at Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, I want us to see today that grace has a name. Grace has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. You know, last week, uh, just to recap, Johnny helped us look at the idea of grace. This is the concept of grace that, it, that changes everything. This, this dynamite concept of God's unmerited favor towards us. Of God, God's love towards me and you that we can do nothing to deserve or earn, but that he gives freely in Jesus. And as we continue this week, we're, gonna, we're literally going to jump in just where Johnny left off last week into verse 6. So if you've got your Bibles open still, read along with me. We're going to go into verse 6 um, again. This is what Paul says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, you probably got this with the reading. Paul is not mincing his words today, is he? I am astounded. You can feel, like, even from that first verse, you can feel the weight and the power of that. Even that word astounded, apparently the Greek word is thaumazo, which means to like marvel at, to be amazed. He's like, I, I, I'm amazed. 
I, I, I marvel at how you could get it this wrong. You, you were going so well. You had received the gospel of grace, and now you've been led astray by a different gospel. It's gone so badly, it's almost impressive. And what is Paul astonished about? Verse 6, that they've turned to a different gospel. They've turned aside from the gospel of Jesus. And a gospel which Paul says in verse 7 is no gospel at all. And it's worth remembering here that the word gospel literally means good news. So it's like Paul's saying that you've turned away from the gospel of Jesus to, to some news that honestly isn't good news for you at all. You think it is, but it's not good news for you at all. And so Johnny got into this last week, but again, in way of reminder, what was this other gospel that had led the Galatians astray? Well, this was the gospel that had infiltrated the church community. You know, Paul had planted this church, and he had preached the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace, the unmerited favor of God, the gospel that is itself Jesus. And then these other apostles kind of came in and, and infiltrated this church community and said, you know, we know that Paul had some funny ideas about Jesus being all you needed. You know, we know he had these funny ideas about how you don't need to earn anything. You can't work or deserve God's grace and salvation, but it's given to you freely. We know he said all of that. But really, if you want to be in the inner circle of salvation, if you want to be in God's tribe, you have to obey the Jewish laws. This was their clinching point. That, like, If you really want to be in the inner circle, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey all the Mosaic laws um, that the Jews obeyed. You know, they, 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 they oppose this thing, you know, what Paul was trying to say, that in Jesus, the, the dividing line between all peoples had been broken down. We read, that, we read this later on the letter, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, no longer saved nor free, but one family in Christ. And these, these people come along and they say, no, 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 that's not, that's not really the case. I know Paul had all of these idealistic ideas, but, but actually, the inner circle are still those who follow the Jewish laws and traditions. And Paul hates this. He absolutely hates this. And the reason that he hates this is because for him, Jesus changed everything. So to add anything to the gospel, to, to make the basis of the gospel anything other than Jesus is no gospel at all. Because this is the point of the gospel. That The point of the gospel is that Jesus, the one thing, one thing, changes everything. That's the point. It doesn't need, it's God's unmerited grace. It's because of God's love and his mercy for you. He acts as he does and moves as he does and dies uh, as he does in the person of Jesus. You know, what we need to remember is that Paul had heard, in his previous life, Paul had, Paul had heard the, the Christian message, hadn't he? He knew what the Christians were saying. He heard the message and he hated it. Absolutely hated it. You know, what, what do you mean? This weird Jewish sect talking about a crucified Messiah. Blasphemy, what do you mean a crucified Messiah? He, he heard the message, and he didn't just not like it, did he? He actively, we see this in the, in the reading, he actively persecuted the church. He hated it. And what changed everything for Paul, in his own words, was his encounter with Jesus. Changed everything. Paul realizes that the gospel is Jesus, is the revelation of Jesus. The gospel is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. And when Paul encounters Jesus on the Damascus road, he is completely transformed because he realizes that Jesus isn't just the Messiah. He is that, but he's also Lord of all creation, God's own son. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me, everything changed. 
You know, this is one of the reasons we spend so much time in worship and prayer, by the way, because we, we, we really don't think that there's much meaning to any of this without the presence of God. We really don't believe that. We, we're like, we, even the Christian message, even if I were to stand up here and just repeat the gospel to you for 40 minutes, without the Spirit of God, without the personal experience and encounter of Jesus that he has for you and for every single one of us, it really falls flat. The gospel rests on the fact, believe it or not, <laughs> that God is real, that you can encounter the risen Jesus for yourself. And this means that the gospel isn't, uh, isn't based on our merit, or are deserving, but upon Jesus. What a relief. <laughs> what a relief. And so in verse 8, you can understand why Paul is so adamant that any gospel that isn't this isn't the gospel at all. He says this. Why don't we read this in verse 8? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. I mean, think, don't let that wash over you. Think about that for a second. Even if we or an angel from heaven were to preach a different gospel from you, preach a different gospel than the one you received, it wouldn't be the gospel. So you imagine this. I want you to imagine that you leave the service and you're having your lunch, and there in your kitchen an angel descends physically, like a Gabriel-type moment. And that angel says to you, Roz, all this gospel you've been believing, that's not really the real thing. This is the gospel. Even the intensity of that mystical experience, if they preach another gospel than the gospel of Jesus, let them be cursed. And that isn't like, let them be sworn at, let them be flipped off. No, 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 it's, it's deeper than that. To, to curse someone in the Bible is, let them be subjected to God's judgment and wrath. That's the weight that Paul's putting here. And, and it's funny, isn't it? Because he even says it of himself. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, um, I, when I say big things, when I make big acclamations, I like to give myself a bit of wiggle room to change my mind. Do you do that? Like, like sometimes in the, I'll be in the car with, with my wife, Kate, and I'll say, um, I'll, I'll be talking for 20 minutes, like absolutely convinced about a particular point of view. And I'll often say to her on the drive, I was like, I know I said all that, but I might change my mind next week. You know, I like to leave myself the wiggle room. And Paul doesn't do that here. He says, even if we, in other words, even if he were to come back to the church and preach a gospel, preach a different gospel, let him be cursed. The reason this is so intense, and it is intense, there's no denying that, is because what's at stake here isn't Paul's ego. Like what's ultimately at stake, the reason that Paul's so riled up about this is that what's ultimately at stake isn't even just his integrity or the integrity of this church. What's at stake for Paul is the message of hope and salvation for the whole world. And so Paul says, any gospel that isn't this is not, the, uh, is not a gospel at all. Even if that gospel makes you feel good. Even if that gospel makes you feel good. You see, this is, this is one of the problems that uh, the Galatian church had. Because if you're anything like me, you, you, I was thinking this last week as Johnny was preaching, it's like, well, Paul's come along and they've received the message of the gospel, this, this transformative message, this message of freedom and life in Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. Why on earth would you turn away from a gospel this good? Do you, see what, you know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? And one of the reasons, at least, is that to be a Christian in Galatia probably had massive social implications. It wouldn't have felt good. You know, in first century Galatia, this was a, a predominantly pagan culture. 
uh, where, where you were expected, expected to sacrifice to idols. And if you didn't sacrifice to idols, if you weren't part of that, you were ostracized. You were, you were, you were a social outcast. And Christians didn't sacrifice to idols. You know, if you're part of this, this Christian group in Galatia, you, you believe that, that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which puts you in direct political tension with the empire and the emperor of the day. Because, no, 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 Caesar was the one that said, I'm King of Kings. Caesar was the one that had the divine right. Immediately, you're put in tension with the claims of the empire. Being a Christian in this context, you know, they didn't, they didn't have venues and podcasts and special edition worship albums and Britney Spears microphones. I mean, that wasn't what it was. To be part of the, to be a Christian in the first century, in this part of the first century, would really to be part of a kind of small, weird cult that believed that a murdered Jew was somehow the Messiah and Lord of all the earth. And so here come a group of people. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Let me go back. As my friend Mark said to me earlier this week, he said, I love this. To be a Christian in Galatia was like being a vegan at an all-American barbecue. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's what 10 years of theology will give you. <laughs> in other words, for many of the Galatians, Jesus had been a disappointment. To follow Jesus had made them social outcasts, ostracized from their communities. And just imagine this. Here are then a group of people who come into the community and say, you don't need to bear with all of that. You can have it both ways. You can have a little bit of Jesus and you can have the approval of your community. I mean, how seductive would that be? You know, you can have your cake and eat it. And you're there as a, as, a, as a Galatian Christian thinking, well, at least if we adopted some of these Jewish laws, uh, we, we would have a little bit more social status because it was a predominantly pagan area, but Judaism was like a valid category. So at least we'd have a bit of social status and some of the stigma would be removed and, and our lives would make a bit more sense in the wider community. Like, you know, maybe I'll have a little bit of Jesus, but it will be much easier to follow you, Lord, if I still treat my money like everyone else. You know, maybe I have a little bit of following you, Jesus, but it'd be really easy if I could have everyone's approval and still tell all those dirty jokes at the office. You can have your cake and eat it. The issue for Paul is that the cake isn't the gospel. The cake they're eating isn't the gospel, and it won't actually give them life and all the time that they're clinging on to this false gospel. Their hands are filled so they can't receive the fullness of the gospel. And we're not like the Galatians, are we? We're not like the Galatians, are we? No, no, of course we're not like the Galatians. Gosh, we've got images for our podcasts. We've got platforms and a venue. You know, that's the point of Scripture, right? So that we can read all this stuff and we can point at all of the bad Christians, safe in the knowledge that we're not like that at all. That's the point, right? At least it is for me. I'm sure that's the point. I mean, stupid Galatians, foolish Galatians, we say with Paul. You silly Galatians. How could you get it so wrong? Unless, of course, we are a little bit like the Galatians. Unless, if we're really honest, Jesus can be a disappointment to us, too. If we're really honest, the gospel isn't always enough in every area of our life. 
or at least we feel like that. When I was a teenager, I was playing in a um, band. You know I play in bands. I was cool once. And I was playing in this one, this one particular band, and this band was doing really well. I mean, like, it was the, really the only band that did do well. And we were signed, and we were making records and touring around the country, and we were doing things on TV and playing all of the good festivals. And the problem was that a few years prior, I'd become a Christian, and actually it got to a point where, for me, playing in this band and being in this environment all the time was really stunting the growth of my faith. Like, it was really becoming an unhealthy place for me to be. And so after a long time and after a lot of thought and a lot of heartache, I decided to leave this band. And everyone thought I was crazy at the time because it was doing so well. And I kind of thought, well, look, I've made this decision for Jesus, so obviously the other guys in the band will understand it, and, and, and it will just be blessing forevermore from heaven for me. <laughs> and one of, one of the people who was in this group actually formed another band, and this band released a single, their very first single. And this single was basically a hate song about me. Completely slating me, complete, um, I was going to say something rude there, a complete Mickey take of faith, of Christianity, the whole thing. And I'd go onto Facebook, right, because my, because my friends knew people in this band, and they might not know what the song was about, but I'd go onto Facebook just being shared, right? Everyone's sharing this song through the news feed. I'd go to gigs, and this band would be playing. I'd have to stand there and listen to this song that is all about slating me. If I'm honest, like, in the moment, I was like, I was a bit disappointed in Jesus. I wait a second, Lord. Like, I, you know, I've, I've made a decision to follow you even more passionately. I've come out of a situation I felt was keeping me from you, and, and now all I'm doing is receiving hate, abuse in the form of friends that I once had. What, what, what's going on? And so I feel that sense of disappointment and I start to think, well, maybe I can have it both ways. And I'd love to tell you that this story was like, and at this moment, everything changed for George White. And he was baptized and, and uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And he was, you know, an on-fire Christian forevermore. It didn't happen like that. This moment happened and then actually the next few years, I, I sort of lived this like one foot in, one foot out life when it came to the gospel. Because ultimately, like, I'd, I'd seen what happened when I went all in for Jesus and it meant not receiving people's approval. It meant people that I cared about not liking me anymore. So I thought, well, I can follow Jesus as long as I have a, like, as long as I make sure I'm always popular. As long as I make sure I have other people's approval. This is what happens to all of us. We're, we have areas of disappointment in Jesus and we run to other gospels. For me, it was the gospel of other people's approval. Like, I'm, Lord, Lord, I'm happy to follow you as long as I'm always popular. I fight that one every day. You know, maybe it's different for each of us. Maybe it's the, the false gospel of self-fulfillment. God, I'm happy to follow you as long as I can keep all my options open and as long as my Pinterest dream board can be fulfilled. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's the gospel of hedonism, of pleasure. I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as I'm happy and it feels good. And the really sad thing about all of this is that when we feel these tensions in our life, when we, when we, when we, get, when we, when we give our lives to Jesus and begin to feel these sense of disappointment and this sense of stretch, if we just take heart in those moments and wait, we realize that the joy that Jesus has for us, the fullness that the gospel holds for us, is so much greater than anything we could leave behind. But we panic. 
Don't we? We think, oh no, will I? And, and, and we, we feel like, oh gosh, this is, that we start clinging to these tiny treasures, these things that we fear to lose when God has got a gold mine over here. And the reason that we do this, the reason that all of us succumb to false gospels from time to time is because they work for a, a short amount of time. You know, sin, by the way, wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't so good. You know, like, the, the, the critique of sin isn't that sin doesn't feel good. The critique of sin is that it's a disease. And it will leave a wound within your life that is so much greater than it could ever feel. It's like addiction, right? Like, you need a constantly greater dose for an ever-depleting reward. It just takes over your life. And so we run to these false gospels, but they fulfill us only temporarily. One of the great fathers of the faith, St. Augustine um, of Hippo, found this himself. You know, for, for years, he, he tried out all of the different philosophies and ideas of the day, you know, hoping that he would find an adequate story, an adequate philosophy to live his life by. And eventually, Augustine, in his 30s, encountered Christianity afresh through a bishop called Ambrose. And yet, even when Augustine was like convinced by the message of the gospel, even when he was captivated by it, he still put off giving his life to Jesus because he didn't want to give up sex. How, 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 could, how could Jesus possibly be better than this? And it wasn't until, I want us to hear this, it wasn't until Augustine encountered Jesus that everything changed. He put it like this in his book, Confessions. I think it will come up on the screen. This is just stunning. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure, O oh Lord my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Augustine encounters the gospel. She's Jesus, and everything changes. And this is what false gospels keep us from. The false gospels are those fruitless joys that we fear to lose, but once we do, we realize the joy that Jesus brings is so much greater, the life that he brings so much more expansive. And, and Augustine's story, I think, is true for many of us. You know, how many lesser joys do we cling on to because we're worried that Jesus won't be enough? You know, the, the, the bizarre logic of the New Testament is that sometimes it's actually only when we relinquish, when we empty what's in our hands, we relinquish other, uh, these other things that we can be able to receive what God has for us. Isn't this the parable of the hidden treasure, by the way? The man finds a treasure worth everything, sells everything to buy it. Is this what Jesus says to his disciples? Those who lose their lives will find it. You know, is it possible? I ask myself as I was preparing, is, is it possible there's areas of my life where Jesus still isn't enough? Because I'm not putting myself in situations where only he can be enough. I'm still clinging on to these other things and my hands are full rather than giving them over to Jesus and being able to be open to his spirit. As Corrie Ten Boom once put it, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And this is the point, point of the whole sermon, because Jesus is the true worth. Grace has a name, and it's Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. 
And when we cling to this gospel, when we flee from the other false gospels, we realize that Jesus is everything we ever needed. If only we take the risk to step into a life following him. You know, is this not what the first Christians found, right? They're like suffering was just the norm. It was just an expectation. But the treasure of Jesus was so much greater, even than physical suffering, that they counted it as loss, is what Paul said. I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord is this not what we see in Afghanistan at the moment? These stories that we hear being fed back of people like developing a hunger for God at a time when it would be most dangerous to do so. We're just seeing the Spirit of God move in amazing ways. People hungry for the Scriptures and the treasure that they're finding in Jesus. Jesus revealing himself to them. It's like, oh my gosh, oh, even suffering, Lord, even pain, even distress. You're worth it all. You're enough for all of that. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Jesus is the true worth. And I'm going to give you some, as if this wasn't good news, I'm going to give you some really good news now. The letter to the Galatians, by the way, isn't a goodbye letter from Paul to the church. You foolish Galatians, I'm astounded at you, you're so stupid, you messed it all up. Goodbye, love Paul. Like, that's not what's going on here. The reason Paul's writing this letter is because at the heart of the gospel is the opportunity Jesus creates for us to return. He writes this letter because he's like, you can return. Yes, you've been led astray. Yes, these false gospels have, have somehow colonized your heart. Oh, but you can come back to Jesus. He's so full of mercy. He's so full of grace. He wants to meet with you. And so that's what we're going to do. Just respond to Jesus this morning and ask him to come and fill us, reveal himself to us afresh. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord. Should we stand together? The band are going to come back up and going to pray for us.